college can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com rebates. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. And mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me as per usual is Mile High Huddle Senior NFL Draft Analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, dude, it's it's hitting the dog days, man. The the dog days of summer um, sports have kind of wound down. Obviously, the NBA Finals are all wrapped up. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche walked away with the Stanley Cup this past Sunday. That was absolutely amazing. Watched the game with my buddy and my son. It was it was just amazing to see the the city of Colorado blow up on Thursday and whatnot. But now we're stuck with baseball and the Rockies suck. So uh, it's kind of kind of you know a little bit grim to be a sports fan as of right now. Uh, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm doing all right, but I just got to say, like, it's weird to me that the worst sport is the one where the players make the most money. Like, baseball is so boring. Like, don't get me wrong. I like it when I'm there in the stadium, but it is such a boring sport to watch on TV. I would seriously much rather watch golf. Like, because at least there's more I can make fun of. Baseball, they stand around for three minutes, throw a pitch, and then you're standing around for another three minutes. But it's so funny to me that that's the way it is. And I know that baseball is America's sport, but it's really not. Not anymore. Um, but yeah, congratulations to the Avalanche. I'm glad they won, even though I hate hockey as well. Um, I really hate all sports except for football, but I- I'm happy they won. I mean, I remember watching them when the Avalanche were first a thing first a thing, and watching them and rooting for them when I was younger with my dad. Um, so I still have a soft spot for them a little bit. It's like with some with, with some other things. I have a soft spots for other teams in different sports, but but you're right. I mean, now we're stuck with the Avalanche or with the Rockies, who suck. They will always suck. I'm sorry. That's just the <laughs> way it is. Um, and we just gotta grind it out for this last month or so, little over a month before football's back. I, I'm not far off with you on the whole Rockies topic. I, I mean, after after watching them trade Nolan Arenado away a couple of years ago, and just that debacle that went down, they they just refused to seemingly figure out their pitching situation. They can't find guys that want to come in and come play. Dick Monfort, I think, needs to sell the team to somebody that actually is going to do something to help that team win because his family first perspective, as far as the, the front office and everything is concerned, like bringing in Bill Schmidt, who has been in the front office forever to, to follow up after um, whatever the hell the guy's name was uh, that was the GM before him. 
like it, they, they've that's all he's done. He's always just promoted from within rather than going out and getting the best baseball guys. Like who's my best friend that's still in the in the organization? Bring him back up. Like it, it's it's just poorly run organization, and it's a it's a shame that uh, that is the dark spot in in Denver right now. Because I mean, look at what's going on. You've got the Nuggets who have a back to back MVP in Nikola Jokic, who's been playing incredible basketball. They're getting healthy. They made a big move to go get Davis Caldwell Pope the other day. Um, to be that that six man like three point shooter, long uh, wing defender and whatnot. You've got Isn't the Avalanche just won the Stanley Cup. You, you got the Broncos who are on the mend. You've got the Colorado Mammoth who just won the National Lacrosse League championship. You've got the Denver Pioneers who won the NCAA tournament in hockey. Uh, you've got what uh, it was uh, Denver East high school won the national championship in hockey. They had another uh, junior hockey team that, that won a national championship or a state championship, something like that. Like they just got done celebrating all that with the Colorado avalanche and then everything is looking good. And then here's the Rockies and they, so what the nuggets real quick. And I know that this is going to drive a lot of people nuts because you know, we're Broncos site and everything, but we're talking about a little bit about other Denver sports. Kentavious, Kentavious Caldwell Pope. I remember, Back when the year he was drafted, I was actually trying to really break into like the NFL draft process and doing that and expanding my horizons a little bit. That was the last year I did it. Is he still just a three and D guy? Yes, he he really is still just a three and D guy. He's not a slasher, not a uh, not a great passer of the ball. He moves pretty decently without the ball, but for the most part, he's just a three and D guy. Um, yeah. Which is really what this team needed. Like quite honestly, they needed a knockdown shooter on the perimeter that can take. Uh, that can go out and like a, a healthy guy because they have that guy in, in Michael Porter Jr., but he just can't stay healthy. So they needed a guy yeah. that you could kind of rely on to come knock down some big shots from Jokic as he passes the ball around and whatnot. And they needed another uh, another wing defender to, to pair with Aaron Gordon when they get out there in that sub package. So uh, to me, uh, get, getting rid of Will Barton kind of sucks. He's the all-time uh, three-point leader in Nuggets history. Um, and then Monte Morris is a solid backup point guard. Um, giving up those two guys kind of sucks. It, help, it hurts the, the culture of the locker room, I think, a little bit. But getting KCP, a player that can stand outside and knock down some some big-time shots for you is a really big get for, for that Nuggets organization. But that'll end our, our wraparound Denver sports. I've, I've been having a lot of fun this week. Well, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, go ahead, Eric. It's a good thing that it's wrapping up because that's about the extent of the knowledge I have of other teams except for the Broncos in terms of Denver. So <laughs> That's fair. So uh, if you guys haven't got a chance to check it out, uh, the other day I went on the Mainly Broncos podcast with uh, with Cameron Parker, Brandon Miller. We we chopped it up about Denver sports there for a little bit at the end of the, of the show. Please go check that out. It was a lot of fun to be able to sit down and get some outside perspective and whatnot. Um, but, guys, we've got a great topic for you today here on Dove Valley Deep Divers, which is what we do best breaking down Broncos football in a deep dive analysis kind of way. We're, we're going to look at the, the Broncos red zone offense as compared to the Seattle Seahawks red zone offense and how getting Russell Wilson to coming to Denver is going to just drastically overhaul uh, the way that this offense is performed in the red zone. Take another look, uh, speaking of, because we have a new uh, defensive coordinator, uh, Vic Fangio, and uh, what he was able to do with his defense in the red zone as far as being an elite defense in the red zone over the last three seasons. We're talking about Ejiro Evero and just the, the guys in the scheme and see what we can kind of project as how this team is going to look. But before we get into that, guys, got to say hello to everybody here in the chat. Uh, Kathy Lund is uh, – 
is chiming in. She's like, yeah, now that hockey's over, it's like uh, Netflix until football season. That's pretty much me. Uh, we've got Paul in the hizzy saying, hi, Lance. Hi, Eric. What's going on, guys? Uh, Jeff Noyes in the house as well. Hello, Lance. Uh, Eric Dillon and Broncos country. Scott will be here in just a few minutes from the sound of it. Um, just kind of getting back into the into everything. But what's going on, everybody? Uh, Kayleon Green, uh, this is a name that we talked we talked to you the other day, I believe, on building the Broncos. So uh, what's going on, Kayleon? It's good to see you, man. And Shades coming in here last second saying hello. All right, guys, that pretty much wraps up what we got in the chat so far. Um, guys, get your comments in, Super Chats, uh, Stars Donations, anything like that. Uh, that would be a great way to help us get this conversation going. But with that, guys, I want to say hello again to everybody. You are checking out Dub Valley Deep Divers Podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. And also, guys... Um, make sure you guys are following at Mile High Huddle because that is the mother account where you guys are going to find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos uh, film breakdowns. I'm working on the Damari Mathis piece, so make sure you guys uh, check that out here as soon as that drops. I'm hoping to get that up here in just a couple of days. Uh, it's been a busy week at work for me. So uh, but with that, guys, Eric, I'm going to run through some numbers for you really fast. And I want to get your just kind of overall takeaway with, uh, the, with regarding the Denver Broncos, as far as their offensive red zone pr productivity over the last five season, guys, I went to um, teamrankings.com, pulled all this information. We, and it's really bad. Like in, I went back to 2017. So I got 2017 through 2021 this last season uh, back in 2017, Denver finished 32nd last in the NFL and red zone, Red zone touchdown productivity uh, rate, 39.58%. In 2018, they finished in 18th. This was the year they had Case Keenum. So they finally at least had a decent quarterback. 56.82%. Uh, this was the highest that they have finished in red zone touchdown productivity since the, in, in this sample size. And I think even going back to 2015, by the way. Uh, 2019, they finished 28th, 47.62%. 2020, they finished 27th, 53.33%. And 2021, they finished 21st with the Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater combination, 54.72%. Now, Eric, before we get into Seattle, I want your takeaways on this. First off, just how bad exactly is that? Obviously, you're ranking in the bottom third of the league pretty much over that. But why? Why is it that the Broncos were so bad in the red zone over these last five seasons? The quarterbacks. Like Case Keenum was the only one who was somewhat decent. And I mean, it's fitting that that was their best year over that sample size. The quarterback, I mean, we talk about it, we say it all the time. Quarterback is the most important position on the football field. It does so much for at any point on the field, especially in the red zone where things get so condensed for the defense that they really have to be able to read them and figure out what it is that they're seeing and where the weak spot is. And they'd be able to have to hit that and not having quarterbacks who are capable of doing that obviously you're gonna struggle i mean it's been a consistent issue with them at that point i mean if your quarterback can't handle it you become very much a running offense in the red zone and again things are so condensed there you don't have spacing on your side that it just makes it easier to defend the run it's inherently easier like it's a simple answer i mean it's the quarterback position i mean it's not 100% their fault. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But that's probably at least 70, 75% of it because they are the one who has to do all the pre-snap reading, figure out where the best place is to attack the ball, make any changes that need to be made. And the offensive coordinator, there's only so much they can do. They can call on the play, and once that happens, it's up to the quarterback. 
the the offensive line, yeah, they could the offensive line could block better. But again, that's on the quarterback identifying blitzes, identifying weak spots, getting a rough estimation about how quickly they have to get the ball out. It's just so much to it. Like, but quarterback is, you know, just the biggest and most vital important or most vital position in all of sports for a reason. I don't disagree with that. Like everything you said is is a hundred percent spot on. The one thing that I want to kind of counteract there with you is the offensive coordinator shuffle just over that same sample size. You've got um, back 2017. I don't even remember who the offensive coordinator was then, but 2018 was, that was the last year um, under Vance Joseph. You have, um, I think it was Mike McCoy, wasn't it? 2017 was Mike McCoy. 2018, what? I don't remember. I don't I, like. I don't even remember who these guys were. They, 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 because the Broncos have had so many different offensive coordinators over the past what six or seven different seasons. 2019 was um, Rich Scangarello and that offense with uh, with the the quarterback shuffle of Joe Flacco of Brandon Allen. You had Drew Locke in there for a little bit. 2020, you get Pat Shermer with Drew Locke and him playing just not necessarily very great, trying to learn you know just how to be an NFL player. And then last season again with Pat Shermer. Like the the scheme itself has always been a rapidly changing and rapidly evolving scheme that has always been super stagnant, especially when things get tight. Like there's never been really any creativity to the play designs or any continuity within the offense in and of itself. I mean, you're, you're talking about an offense last season with Pat Shermer where Jerry Judy had three total red zone targets. That's a that's a dynamic playmaker, a dynamic athlete that really does a great job in tight spaces with his route running a bit and his ability to get himself open on pass routes. Like you're, you're talking about just an overall offensive uh, inefficiency based on nobody knowing what their true role is over five years and, and going back even further to 2015, 2016 wasn't any better. I mean, it's, it's always been a hodgepodge of, I don't even know necessarily the, the right word. Tom foolery would be the best way that I could say that, but like there's so much that goes into it. Quarterback definitely being the one offensive coordinator and scheme, I think has a big part to do with this as well. As well. Well, I mean, again, it just comes down. Yeah, there's issues with constantly rotating the scheme. Like, no argument there. But when it comes to the red zone, players still have to go out there and play. Yep. I mean, if you don't have a quarterback, it makes the job of the offensive coordinator that more difficult. They can draw up a nice play, and the quarterback just doesn't read the defense correctly. Yep. We've seen that happen multiple times. I'm not saying that um, uh Shermer was great, but there were some play designs of his that weren't bad that were ruined by the quarterback, by Locke, by Teddy Bridgewater. Didn't matter the quarterback. Bill Musgrave in 2018. I mean, the what? The who was the quarterback that year? Um, 2018. Yeah, was, was Case Keenum. I thought that was 17. I'm was, off, but was, what? A, yeah, 2017 was the second year of Trevor Simeon, and then 2018 was, the, was Case. 2019, 2019 was with a Flacco Allen. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, like 2019, Rick Scangarello. I mean, I was very much, I didn't like the job Rick Scangarello did, but he drew up some nice plays. They draw up some nice plays, but the quarterback, like, they can ruin it. It doesn't matter. I mean, even great quarterbacks can sometimes ruin a greatly designed play. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I mean, they deserve a, they deserve part of the blame for it. The constant rotation of the offensive, the offensive scheme deserves some blame for it. But again, I would say that 70 to 75% of the blame falls on the quarterback because it makes it harder. And guess what? If you're an offensive coordinator or you're a quarterback coach, you better hope you have a uh, GD, I'll say that, quarterback, because if not, you're going to lose your job. Yeah. If you don't have one, you find one, or you're going to lose your job. 
Well, I mean, look at where we're at right now. If the Broncos would have been able to, I've, I've heard this as a hot take on radio and I mean, it very well could be the case. You're talking about if the Broncos go and and do manage to somehow land Aaron Rodgers during last year's NFL draft is Vic Fangio fired. Like with the work that he does with the defense, Aaron Rodgers comes in and the offense starts to pick up and, and do their thing. I've got some numbers on Aaron Rodgers by the way here that I want to get into here in just a minute, but are, are you talking about, an offense that finally has the ability to, to put points on the board, take some pressure off the defense. And then Vic Fangio potentially being in the, in the terms of the, like in the talk of coach of the year, because of just what he's able to do with that defense and being so efficient in the red zone. And I mean, they, they gave up what 367 points. I think total is what it was last year. They were at the top of the NFL. Like they've done a great job defensively. And that, there's no doubt about that. It's always been just how bad this offense has been. And now that you have a quarterback, and we'll get into this here right now, actually, you've got a quarterback that's coming out of Seattle who's been one of the most productive red zone quarterbacks in the NFL over the past five seasons, guys. Like Russell Wilson is an absolutely tremendous red zone quarterback. And th- this, again, is a guy that just knows how to go out and make some plays. And before we get into that, I want to say hello. we got some more people jumping in here in the chat. We've got Phil McLaughlin jumping in here saying, good evening, Lance, Eric, and Scott. Hashtag Let's Ride. Hashtag Go Broncos. Good to see you, Phil. Thank you for that. Uh, Lawrence Rivera jumping in here. Uh, what up, guys? I'm about to hit the Greeley Stampede's 100th Carnival Festival tomorrow. That sounds like a lot of fun. I haven't been to the, the Greeley Stampede ever. My goodness. Uh, can't wait for the fourth. Any plans for the weekend since it's the holiday, Eric? No. <laughs> Why not? I'm not I'm... <laughs> I don't really want to get into that. Okay, that's fair. Um, but it's... Um, fourth of July was has never been a big thing in my house so it's just we do a small thing as a family there's not much to do here there's a small parade but we're not going to that like we'll just have our a small thing as a family that's about it that's all we always, always that's about all we ever do nice uh my sister's getting married tomorrow so we're going down to um see the folks and, and have have a good time there and then uh, come back Sunday to home and then do fireworks and stuff like that. Nothing super spectacular, extravagant. Um, just doing the doing the wedding is the big thing. Kind of last minute on that as well. Thank you, sis. I love and appreciate you for letting us know on Sunday that you're getting married so, on Saturday. So, so you still have time to warn her against it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> at least you know. I, I will say though, the the one thing about this this marriage is my sister is a fireball. She's always been like super hot headed and everything. Um, and not to talk down on her, she's always just been kind of like that crazy psychotic lady. Um, but uh, so her finding her finding her husband to be her fiance has been one of the biggest turn turnarounds in a human being I've ever seen. Like there's, it, it's been amazing to see that her, like her being as happy as she is is so great and i i love and respect the hell out of, out of cody for being able to do that um and, and to get corinda wrapped it like reeled in and whatnot calmed down and everything it's an amazing turnaround and i'm i'm so happy for her and for them as a couple in general so um congratulations to those guys i'll throw that out there to everybody in broncos country uh to my sister corinda and her uh, fiance cody get married tomorrow afternoon so uh congratulations to those guys that's that's my big plans for the weekends we'll shoot some fireworks off smoke some ribs on on sunday with the uh with the in-laws and just kind of have some fun maybe shoot my my new uh, seven mag get it sighted in during the afternoon that ought to be a little bit fun i think we could probably get something like that done so yeah it's it's gonna be gonna be a, a fairly decent weekend uh, and Lawrence, hopefully you have a lot of fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Don't blow your fingertips off. I mean, that's always a bad idea. And please, please don't JPP please, yourself. Please, please, yes, that's there. You go. 
But please, 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 it happens every single year. You always hear about it. Please, guys, please, please, please do not drink and drive. Like, be safe. Take care of yourself. Make good decisions. And please, again, be safe and respectful to everybody around you. And be safe with those fireworks, too. Don't go starting any fires. Yes, we don't need any fires. It's it's already bad enough as it is. It's it's already bad enough as it is. Uh, we've got Mike in here, Chase Wellner as well. Ernie Mays jumping in on the show saying, hello, Lance and Eric, go Broncos, let's ride. Yes, sir, absolutely. Um, Renee Himes, fear of the quarterback, absolutely. Uh, Mark Schrader, happy Friday, guys. Mark, happy Friday to you as well. And thank you for joining us on Dove Valley Deep, uh, Dove Valley Deep Divers. And thank you for the stars on that. And thank you to Greg Smith for shouting out the fact that uh, – Mark had some great stars attached to that. Now, getting back to our conversation at hand here, guys. Um, the Broncos getting Russell Wilson, not only just as far as the leadership capabilities and, and the, the ability to turn them into an instant contender is going to, it, it, like, it's going to help this team in such a major way in just the red zone alone. Back since 2017, uh, the Seattle Seahawks offense has been uh, in 2017, they were 12th in red zone efficiency, uh, 55.56%. 2018, they were seventh at 65.52%. 2019, they were fifth, 64.62%. Uh, in 2020, they were third, 66.67. And last year, they were third as well, 64.58%. And Russell Wilson ended up missing a lot of the season, obviously, with that mallet finger injury. Um, a big reason why I wanted to, to do this conversation was because I saw a, a really good article from John Heath over at uh, – uh, at Yahoo Sports on Broncos Wire. And he has a great quote from uh, Russell Wilson on May 23rd that Russell Wilson said, quote, it's about touchdowns uh, when you cross that red zone. The whole game you are, is about You are touchdowns. breaking up really bad. Okay, I'm sorry about that. How how bad was that? I hope everybody can still hear me. It, it's uh, pretty bad. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll, give you a chance to, I'll give you a chance to figure that out and – um, one thing that you said earlier that I want to talk about is how many times talking about the whole coach and the quarterback thing, how many times do we see a quarter or a coach look good with, cause they have that great quarterback and they fall apart when they don't. I mean, we had John Fox for multiple, uh, for those year, early years of paid Manning. And before that he didn't look, his offenses didn't look that great. I mean, it just goes to show how much the quarterback is. And then with Seattle, I mean, Russell Wilson, there's no denying that the ability he has, and adding to it is his ability as a runner to go and make for, create for himself to um, go and uh, Lance is restarting his uh, stream real quick, guys. He'll be right back. Having some internet issues there. Um, but having the these extra abilities that you can have to go and um, the running ability is obviously such a big boost when the area of the field is so condensed because then you can sit there and you can turn your passing game. Well, now your pass game also has the threat of the running game. So it's no surprise that it has such an issue that it Russell Wilson did so great. And of course, for multiple years there, he had such a strong running game, but the offensive line was bad. I don't think people realize this. He last year, he had the second worst offensive line in the NFL. Um, and that's not that's not that's taking into consideration his ability to make people miss, avoid sacks, and extend plays. Like it's just a straight up expected time to throw and how well the offensive line did. He was the second worst. Only one that was worse was Matt Ryan. So he he's bringing all these skills and all these traits for an offensive line. Yeah, yeah. The Broncos' offensive line wasn't great last year. They struggled, but having a veteran quarterback should help them out having a guy who can sit there and yeah, make people miss buy some time, 
that is also a way to, you know, help out your offensive line. And Denver hasn't really had that. So it's going to be interesting. I would I would not be surprised at all if the Broncos are a top 10, at least, red zone offense this year because of what Russell Wilson brings to the table. I don't disagree with that at all, and I'm not sure exactly what you said on, as well. I was trying to get my stream refreshed, and I do apologize for any technical difficulties. Uh, Gary Palmer says that he could hear me just fine, so maybe, Eric, it might be just a connection issue between you and yeah, you and myself. Uh, again, guys, apologies for that. We try to do the best that we can here on uh, the Huddle Up Podcast Network. Um, working, you know, through inter- internet streams and whatnot. But I want to go back to what you were saying about Russell Wilson, his ability in the red zone to extend plays and just find the, the ability to go out and make some some big plays in the red zone. Um, since 2017, these are the rankings that Russell Wilson. I, I'll give you the numbers and the and the rankings of Russell Wilson in terms of red zone touchdown passes. Uh, 2017, he had 22 touchdown passes. That was fourth in the NFL. 2018, he had 23 touchdown passes, tied for third. Uh, 2019, he led the NFL with 25. 2020, he had 29, which was second in the NFL, only to Aaron Rodgers, who threw 35. Um, and then in 2021, he had 15, but he missed all those games with that mallet finger. But in every single one of those seasons, he had a, it was a two, one, two, two, and two rushing touchdowns in the red zone, respectively, from 2017 onwards. Like you're talking about a massive amount of production as tar- in terms of getting the football into the end zone in the red zone, and the numbers don't lie, guys. I mean, on average, you're talking close to 64 percent on average of putting the ball in the in the end zone when you get into the red zone having a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber is going to take this offense to a completely new level. Yeah. I want to grab this comment real quick from Jeff Noyes. Um, How does Wilson play in the elements? No wind, rain, et cetera. He's going to see a lot of, he saw a lot of it. He played in mm-hmm. Seattle. They, the rainy city. They, Nick Kendall yeah, can right. attest to that. It rains there constantly. Never stops. That's why Nick's always in a bad mood. Cause he can never go hiking. Um, <laughs> joking aside, but he's, he's played in the elements before. And in Denver, you actually don't see near as much as a lot of people think. I mean, the last few years, the bad weather games that Denver has had have been away games. Yeah. And guess what? He had away games there in bad weather, too. Like, it's it's an issue if you haven't seen it. There's a reason to be – there's a right to be concerned. It's like Kenny Pickett coming out of Pitt. There was a reason to be concerned about how he would do in bad weather games because he didn't see a lot of them in college. He had one this he had one last year where his performance statistically was fine, but when you actually watch him and watch the changes the offense had to make because of his struggles, like it's, it was concerning. But Wilson has plenty of tape out there on the field with it, like in these bad weather games. There, there's not a reason to be concerned. If there is a issue with it, there's I mean again so many variables to it, and yeah, there will probably be moments where he struggled. There's times he struggled in um, Seattle, but there's times he had some amazing games too, like. And, and no, Jeff, Jeff, you're fine. I, I see you coming back. Just asking about that. No, you're, you're good, dude. Like that's, that's something that a lot of people like to bring up when it, when you're talking about a new quarterback, it's just in Denver. I think the one thing you're going to see more than anything is the wind. Like, because it's, yeah. it's oftentimes windy in Denver, the the cold weather games, obviously is going to be, is going to be something to kind of keep your eye on. Um, but as far as snow and rain games, like Denver gets what 300, 
days of sunshine a year. Like there's everyone's always worried about these snowstorm games and stuff like that. Yeah, they happen. They happen in New England. They happen in Philadelphia. They happen in Green Bay way more often than they happen in Denver. Like there's there's a lot of a lot of times that people will kind of overestimate like overstate that impact as far as a quarterback's play is concerned. Um so it's it's a great question. It is. It is a good question. And to, to give you a little bit more context and we're not coming at you again with just like just having a conversation with you. It's a great question. And thank you for joining us. Uh, keep uh, keeping with the conversation here as far as um, Russell Wilson's ability in the red zone. He's done a lot of this with uh, relatively lackluster wide receiver play. Now this last couple of years with DK Metcalf with uh, with uh, Tyler Lockett, um, have, have been all right. He had, I believe he had Jimmy Graham in 2017 and 18. So he had through, I think 16 touchdowns to, um, to, uh, to Jimmy Graham over those, the course of those two years, Denver's a different beast here with Russell Wilson, because the, he actually has a three really high quality, just wide receivers at the position that, that like playmakers that can be really good red zone threats and, and Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy. I mean, with, with the, the big body ability of Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, the, like the jump ball, go and get it kind of guys. But then you also have the the quick route running of a Jerry Judy. I alluded to that just a, a few minutes ago. Is, is this a potential possibility to see Russell Wilson have his best year in terms of being a productive red zone quarterback, just because he has the talent around him that he can get it done? I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, it goes beyond the three receivers. Alvaro Quabenom was yeah. widely viewed as a mismatch in the red zone because of his size. Greg Dulcich is a mismatch. And then you have Javante Williams in there. Like, they have it to be so effective in the red zone. And overall, that yeah, it could easily be one of his best years. Wilson can still play. A lot of people want to point to how he did the first couple games back after the finger injury last year when he came back earlier than he was supposed to. Right. And yeah, some of those moments were rough, but people don't realize that he was having such an outstanding year before that. And after the first game or two, he was almost back on track to what he was beforehand. Um, I understand that there's concerns about the longevity of his play style, but he's not showing the signs of slowing down just yet. Probably have two or three years for that before at the at the least before he does. So it's it's very reasonable to expect that plenty of weapons, a better offensive line than he ever really had in Seattle. Like there's so much going for him here that it's, it's it, again, it's easy to see that this could be his best year. Yeah. To tie into that, we've got Nathaniel Hackett coming into here. Um, obviously the offensive coordinator in green basins, 2019. So out of my curiosity, I went back and um, checked out the numbers, just uh, touchdown numbers from Aaron Rodgers in uh, Green Bay over the last three seasons from 2019 to 2021. Uh, 2019, middle of the road, he only threw 16 touchdown passes. Uh, 2020, he led the NFL, as I said before, with 35. In 2021, he was tied for third with 28. The, the big thing that I want to kind of address here is the scheme in Green Bay with a quarterback that has the ability to be a, a dynamic red zone threat. And then a guy like Devonte Adams, who I'm not going to directly compare Jerry Judy to, but I do want to say that is the role that I project Jerry Judy to have in this offense as a whole. Like I, I do believe the, the dynamic route running of a Devonte Adams of being able to play out of the slot, using him in the quick passing game in the red zone. How do you project 
what Jerry Judy is going to be able to do in this red zone offense, or even just in the offense in general, with uh, understanding what Russell Wilson likes to do from an offensive standpoint, and also what we saw with uh, the Green Bay Packers and um, Nathaniel Hackett as the offensive coordinator the last three seasons. Um, I think they're going to, I mean, he's not going to be used as that gadget trick guy to try to bait them on the end around handoff. That's going to be a big one. Um, they're going to use him, I think, predominantly out of the slot to try to um, create some kind of mismatch against it. But I still, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a good number of, you know, big slots, Tim Patrick with his blocking ability. Um, one thing I'm curious to see is if, how often they'll run the ball with Jerry Judy in the slot, because there is a very reason, reasonable um, concern there with Jerry Judy and his blocking ability. And there has been since he came out of college. That's a good point. Uh, so I think with Hackett, I don't think it's going to be like a set pattern, kind of like how we saw so often with Pat Shermer, one of the areas that was such an issue with him. I think it's going to be more versatile, more creative, and just trying to create the best mismatches that they can. And I think there's going to be some freedom with Russell Wilson as well to move receivers around to try to help them get those mismatches. Now, real quick, I wanted to go back because I finally pulled up some stats about it. Um, after the 2019 season, Russell Wilson had 28 touchdowns to 12 interceptions in games of 40-degree weather or less, and he averaged at least 2.5, just over 2.5 touchdowns per contest. So his performances were quite good um, in bad weather. He had one really bad game against the um, Eagles where he threw like five interceptions, or the Packers where he threw like five interceptions in it. Um, and looking at the clips real quick, um a lot of them bounce off the receiver's hands. Like they were perfectly placed, but so not to, not to bang on that Jeff noise. I, I knew that there was statistics out there. I just wanted to provide that. And um, you asked, does he wear a glove? He does wear a glove on his non-throwing hand. Yes. I, I actually knew that as well. Uh, pardon me for taking a drink there. Um, God, I, I'm always just shocked at your ability to, and not to sidetrack this conversation, but I want to give you just some kudos here of your ability to carry on with the conversation, go through, find the most obscure stat ever Keep on talking. Listen to what I'm saying if you actually are listening to me, which you never actually are. What was that? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. That's right. Uh, but uh, I, it's always it's impressive. Like we did that show when I was the, when I was away from from home. Uh, we did the the free agency show. You were listening to Russell Wilson's press conference as well as me at the same time talking about like relaying what Russell Wilson was saying so that I could hear it and still being in the conversation. I'm just, I, I got to give you kudos every single time you do that. Uh, let's run to this comment stream really fast before we jump to the defensive side of the football, because I think there's some really good points that I want to kind of throw out there. I don't have a whole lot of information as far as um, like player, player standouts or uh, statistics and stuff like that. Really just a bunch of numbers on just the efficiency of this Vic Fangio defense is returning a lot of players, um, upgrading some guys and whatnot. But I want to get into the defensive side of the football on the other side of this really fast. Uh, Gary Lee Palmer jumping in here. What's going on, Gary? Nice to see you. Good stuff, guys. It's some great information about Russ. He is so underrated. I actually agree with that. I think that Russell Wilson is incredibly underrated. Um, Kayleon Green coming in asking the question, didn't they beat Green Bay to go to the Super Bowl against us? I'm not sure what uh, it, it beat Green Bay. is. Are you talking about Russell Wilson, Super Bowl 48? I think that was the case. Eric, you might double check that for me. Fact check is, as you are very apt to do and also very good, uh, good at doing it. Um, 
Let's see here. Jeff Noy saying the, the game in KC is always snowing. It's always cold in, in Kansas City because it always seems like Denver's playing Kansas City in December. Um, Kayleon Green, cold weather game, Seattle, Green Bay. Oh, that was uh, that was the uh, the Rodgers game. Uh, not Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers, the, uh, the tight end. What was his name? Dang it. Went right through his hands. Russell Wilson made a great throw to Jermaine Curse at the end of that game to, to set up a game-tying touchdown. I know exactly what game you're talking about now. Yes, Kayleon. Kayleon Green here uh, saying the cold weather game, Seattle and Green Bay. That was at CenturyLink Field. I know exactly the game you're talking about. Um, NFC Championship game 2013, I believe, was was the year on that. Yep. I, no. I think you're right there. No. Um, huh? No. The 2013-2014 playoffs, the Green Bay Packers were eliminated in the wild card by the San Francisco 49ers. Am I thinking 2012-13 uh, then? It, it was right uh, about that. I can I, check. I think that's what the game that he's talking about because it was a it was an NFC championship. San um, Francisco, uh, Green Bay beat Minnesota in the uh, wild card, and then San Francisco beat Green Bay. Hmm. I I know I, there was. I'll find it. Damn it! I, I can't. I can't. I I know what game you're. I know. About. I know. There's. I know. There's one. Uh, 2014-2015. They beat in CenturyLink Field. They beat the Green Bay Packers to go on to lose. That's the one where they should have ran the ball. Yeah, instead yep, of throwing. Right. That, it was yeah. that. It was that year. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. As an agribusiness expert with Alliant Energy and a farmer, I know how important it is to get the most out of your land. I know that also applies to getting the most out of how your farm uses energy. That's why Alliant Energy offers free farm energy assessments. With a farm energy assessment, someone like me will find all kinds of ways to help you save money and energy. We can even connect you with rebates to help make energy equipment upgrades even more affordable. Schedule your free assessment at AlliantEnergy.com slash Farm Energy Assessment. And Dale, yeah, my webcam doesn't get enough power from my computer, so sometimes it freezes up on me. It's stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. You gotta, gotta give it a little love tap, taparoo. Um, it's all in the hips. You know how it is. Yeah. Happy Gilmore references for you. Uh, Renee Himes, the Broncos finally made a good move in acquiring Wilson. Yeah, and to give you a little bit more context, that's why we want to go into these uh, these red zone numbers. And speaking of red zone numbers, looks like uh, oh wait, Gary leads uh, Palmer jumping back in, saying I think Greg Dulcich will be a dark horse this year. He will be open a lot. Eric, I want your opinion on this because Luke and I went and chopped it up on building the Broncos the other day about just the year one impact on the, uh, because I I believe it's Chad Reuter, NFL.com had projected that Greg Dulcich was going to make the, uh, the all rookie team this season at the tight end position. Uh, What do you think Greg Dulcich's role is going to be in this offense at like, just to, just to start the season? Um, I, I think he has, I think he has the ability, enough ability. If he can show it blocking, that he can beat uh, Albert Okwebenov. I'm just going to throw that hot take out there. I think that Greg Dulcich is week one, uh, week one tight end one. We, we, we've talked about this before. The odds of a rookie tight end coming in being a starter is so slim, especially when they have somebody there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be Albert Okwebenov to start. Maybe Dulcich comes over. It's just not common to see rookie tight ends perform year one. I mean, they're they're literally viewed as the second hardest or third hardest position to transition to the NFL. 
because not only do they have to pick up on all the NFL passing concepts, they have to pick up on all the blocking concepts for the running game. Like there's so much on their plate as well as picking up the technique quarterback and is probably the, is obviously the hardest. And there's a couple I can see the argument for, but none I would really say is harder um, than tight end. Uh, But that said, he does have traits that can ha- see him have a solid impact as a rookie this year. I just not a hundred percent sure he'll be able to, you know, that all rookie team as a tight end with some of the other tight ends that are in this class with where they went and who they're playing with and the situations there. Um, but I think he'll have a decent impact um, seeing a good amount of snaps because I mean, even as a rookie, you want them to get out of the other get out get out there on the field. That's the quickest and easiest way to bring about development with a player. Right. Throw them to throw them to the fire. So, I right. think you'll have a decent amount of time. I want to piggyback off of that just really quickly to fill up some more time. We got about twenty minutes here left in our discussion tonight. Um, the one thing that I really want to say here is you're you're talking about the 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 pass blocking and run blocking, understanding the route concepts and stuff like that. Something I talked about on building the Broncos the other night. If you guys uh, didn't check that out before, like when you talk about offensive linemen, like a Garrett Bowles, for example, he plays left tackle, left tackle only. Like he lines up at the left tackle position. He doesn't bounce around the offensive line, bounce around it. That's his one position. Greg Dulce attached to learn the run blocking schemes on the right and left side pass blocking on right and left side. He has to understand the route concepts from attach in line, split out in the sl- in the slot, backside X, front side Z from the fullback position, from an H back position and understand all the blocking schemes playing the fullback and H back. If he does do something like that, there's just so much that goes into it. I, I, I said it, that this is probably the best way. And Eric, you said it very astutely as well. Learning how to play tight end at any level, it doesn't matter if it's high school, college, or or especially in the NFL, is a top five hardest position to learn, and it's not number five. It's somewhere from one because it's obviously the quarterback. So two through five, somewhere in there is a tight end position. It's incredibly hard to be able to come in and have that year one impact. I just like the tools a little bit more with Dulcich than I do with Okawebenom. And there's some more multiplicity because I think that Dulcich has a, a better ability to run inward and outward breaking routes and not just use that straight line speed. Albert Okoebanon turns like a battleship. At least Greg Dulcich can stop on a dime and sit down, find the open hole in a zone and just be a multiple tight end in that aspect. I also like the, the straight line speed and the ability to break tackles after the catch that gives me more reason to want to get Dulcich on the field than Okoebanon. I also like the blocking a little bit better. That's just why I think that you can see Dulcich have a bigger impact and potentially be that first tight end on the field, if that makes yeah. sense to you. And I want to grab this comment here because Fant did fine. Um, Fant did. I mean, Fant had one of the better years as a rookie tight end. Um, he had 562 yards as a rookie, which was not even in the top 15 best rookie seasons. Like they, they happen. It, most of them happened years ago um, when uh, I don't want to say it was easier when the way the NFL was, was so different mm-hmm. and the utilization of tight ends were so different. This um, is- since 2000, there are only what I think by rough estimate, five tight ends that have been in the NFL since 2000 that have had some of the best years. Kyle Pitts was a starter last year, and he's the one who 
as the best rookie tight end season, but he's not really a yeah, tight end. Yeah. The, uh, the one the one thing I will say, because he's listed as a tight end position, um, he played more like a wide receiver. He's the second tight end, I believe, in NFL history to have a thousand yards as a rookie. Yes. And the first one since Mike Ditka back in yep. the seventies. Like they're the only it, two to have over a hundred yep. over nine hundred yards too. Yep. Like that's it's it's incredible to see what yeah. Kyle Pitts was it's, able to do. But it's also a different league now. Mike Ditka doing that, having a thousand yard season back in the in the set was it 67? 61. 61. Okay. Um, to, to have that kind of a um, impact that long ago before the Super Bowl was even a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, and it was, a, it was a thing that what makes his years even more spectacular was how much that wasn't really a passing league back then. Like, right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he caught 56 total catches for 1,076 yards. 56. Right. Kyle Pitts six catches for a thousand and seventy six yards. That's in, four, wild, in fourteen bro. in fourteen games, and Kyle Pitts had sixty eight for um, one thousand twenty six. Back at that time, and Mike Ditka twelve freaking touchdowns. But my point is, isn't so much that you know rookie tight ends can't. There's um, exceptions to the rule. The general rule is rookie. You're not going to get much out of a rookie tight end just yep. because of how much is on their plate to develop. Yep. Uh, there's been plenty of rookies to start. Um, pretty sure Noah Fant was a starter his rookie year. Looks like Lance is being attacked by something. Um, no, I I saw the flash and the thunder, but we're getting pounded with rain right now. So I muted my microphone. I saw the flash and muted it instantaneously. <laughs> that was loud. Sorry. Um. So yeah, I mean, Dulcich can. Um. There's some points that you made that I kind of disagree with. I don't think that. And it's not that Albert Oak, I think Albert Oakland is a great blocker. I don't think that Dulcich is better. I will give Dulcich the fact that he does try it a little bit harder. Um, but and one thing I'll I'll bounce back as a, is my big thing with Albert Oakland. He turns like a battleship, but he has improved dramatically. He's yeah. still not on the level there. We have seen great progress from Albert Oakwebenam, and sitting there and. Not saying that you're doing it. Um, there are others who do seem to be. There seems to be this write-off of Albert Okwebenam and the development that, the development that he's had right. because the new brand new shiny toy of Greg Dulcich. Right. Um, and nothing. It's nothing against Greg Dulcich. I mean, we see that happen a lot. But I still think, as I said, that Okwebenam will be. I do think we'll see a good amount of two tight end sets. I will think that we'll see a good number of like one of them in the in the as an inline tight end, the other one in the slot, depending on certain down distance, location on the field, things like that. Um, we're we're going to see a rotation of these weapons, and that's why I do think that even if he doesn't end up a starter at some point this season, which he very well could, I think that um, uh, that we uh, see not quite even, but a pretty close split of reps between the two. Right. I think it goes without stating. I mean, we, we've talked about it so many times over the, the past, ever since Russell Wilson was uh, traded and brought into Denver. This is the best offensive skill set of weaponry that he's ever had as a quarterback. And not only that, he's got the best offensive line in front of him he's ever had going back all the way to 2014, 2015, when they went to the Super Bowl and the the, the whole run the football with Marshawn. Like, they just haven't surrounded him with that that kind of talent that he has here in Denver to have a conversation about whether it's 
Albert O or it's Greg Dulcich that's the starting tight end or like who's going to be the the third best wide receiver on this team like who's the third the third option like there's that's never happened for Russell Wilson so it, it's it's just so much fun to be able to be optimistic about this team again especially on the offensive side of the football it's an embarrassment of riches when it comes it to the offensive personnel mm-hmm. um which Denver's had for a while they just were missing that quarterback i mean what Demarius Thomas, rest in peace. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, Cortland Sutton as a rookie. Like they've had good receiving cores for quite a while. Tight end has been hit or miss. They've had decent over the years. They've had decent at running back, but they just haven't been able to get that quarterback. And it really wasted quite a few years of multiple receivers there. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't get to see what some of these guys could do with great quarterback for their whole career. Um, but it's great that we finally have one because now we can see what fully Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick can do when the balls being thrown their way are placed better, when the reads are better, when they're not having to deal with quite as much contact or deal with quite as much contested catches with Jerry Judy, who's going to be better utilized by an offensive coordinator. Who's going to sit there and not just be the, um, the, uh, the blindfold, so to speak, for um, for defenses or the um, the hey look at me guy, yeah, the decoy and the decoy. There we go. I couldn't think of the freaking word. Um, <laughs> that uh, and he's finally has a quarterback. I mean, we saw him struggle for the last two years with both quarterbacks, one more so than the others, just simply because of the amount of games played with them. That's the main reason why, because last year he dealt with the injury and missed a good amount of time where Teddy Bridgewater was a starter. And then, like, we just saw him struggle. We saw him struggle. I mean, one of his, the best, the highlight of his career was him taking the ball away from a defender on what would have been an interception because Brett Rippon couldn't throw a good ball. Like, that's the highlight of his career, Um, which is saying something. Yeah, it's either that one, which is definitely up there, or the the ninety two yard catch and run against the Raiders in Week Seventeen of his rookie season. Like, but that's really it. A lot of the stuff that you hear of Jerry Judy is the 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 bad drops and the the uh, the inconsistencies and the cryptic tweets and everything like that. Like Hot Take Radio guy likes to talk about all that crap. But let's let's be honest here that 92 yard touchdown that he had against the Raiders was on a perfectly placed football on a well-designed play on a blown coverage, to be honest as well. But still it showed the ability that you have when you have the timing down the ball placements there, he gets the ball in his hands and he has all of the ability in the world to take something like that to the house on any given play. Now you're going to get some more consistent quarterback play and hopefully it actually, um, Hopefully it actually works out for him as Eric is going around the world here with his camera. Man, technical difficulties tonight is the the normal issues with my mic. And real quick to clear this up, um, Dale Fleming says there have been tight ends that started as rookies, but the breakout was year was second or third year. I think that's Eric's point. Could be wrong though. No, that is my point is that the contribution from tight ends, it typically takes two to three years before they develop their breakout year on average is year two or three. Doesn't mean it can't happen again, exception to the rules, but the rule is there for a reason. Right. As, uh, as, as Jeff jumps in here, Ozzie Newsom yeah. was a Browns offensive player of the year's rookie season. Like, yeah. That's the exception. Just to the rule. as, just as with defensive linemen, 
It typically takes two or three years before they break out and really emerge, but there are some that come in right away as a rookie. Rules. But the exception to the rules are there. It's like that in everything. And football and all sports are one of them. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty for baseball and hockey and basketball and badminton and golf and all those other ones. Um, the point is, is that it you you don't see typically see a huge year from a rookie tight end. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right there on that one. I want to pivot this conversation off of this instead of talking about tight ends and offense and whatnot. I've got some numbers to run by everybody. Um, obviously, we're talking about the red zone, the efficiency of the offense on, at the beginning of this show. I want to switch the defensive side of the football. Under Vic Fangio, this last three seasons, Denver was incredibly efficient in the red zone. They gave up a lot of yards. They were at the bottom of the league in the NFL in terms of giving up yardage uh, on a per-game basis. Um somewhere around the 350 to 370-ish area, so that's a lot of yards to give up. But they, in terms of red zone efficiency, they finished in 2019, 2020, and 2021. First, first, and second in terms of touchdown uh, touchdown allowed percentage, uh, 39.13 2019, uh, 2020, 47.54%, and then last season at 50%, which was second in the NFL. We've got a new defensive coordinator. Obviously, everybody knows the the upheaval in this coaching staff has has brought a lot of new changes, um, a lot of new faces coming in defensively as well. What the Broncos had coaching staff changes? Haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly who decided to start that rumor, but I'm really starting to want to hit him in the head because it's it's getting old. Uh, anyways, um, Randy Gregory getting brought in. Uh, you're you're seeing um, the Damari Mathis obviously with the draft class and stuff like that. Nick Benito, Ayoma Wazurike. Um, it, you're losing Alexander Johnson from this last season. You get Josie Jewell back healthy. They're like just a change in, in everything. And also you lose one of the greatest defensive minds in all of football in Vic Fangio to go to Ajiro Evero young up and comer. Everyone is like predicting him to be a, a head coach here in the next probably five years or so. He learned under Vic Fangio. He learned under Wade Phillips. He learned under Dom Capers as well as um, the uh, the Buccaneers guy. I can't remember his name. Damn it. Um, architect of the Tampa 2 defense. Regardless, doesn't matter. Is there a possibility that the uh, – it obviously there's a possibility you lose Vic Fangio that this team could fall out of the top two in terms of red zone efficiency. But is there a possibility they stay there with the talent they have and a new scheme that wants to be more aggressive – do they stay in the top or is there a, an expected fall off here? So there's a, uh, it's a loaded question, by the way. There is. Cause there's a, there's a lot that goes into it because the Vic Fangio defense last year. Yes. Those are great numbers in the red zone. The whole Ben don't, Ben don't break mentality. My cord behind my, my webcam is all messed up too, which is why it keeps turning on me. Um, but the whole Ben, but, but don't break mentality that helps lead to it. But how many times did we see them, you know, those 30-yard, 40-yard, 80-yard touchdowns? Mm-hmm. Um, the broken coverages, what, there was the two against the Baltimore Ravens. Yep. There was one or two more in a couple in another game. Like, it, it happened. Um, I I think that with the talent they have, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a drop. I'm not sure, maybe out of top 10, but I don't think, I don't think it would drop down below, you know, into the bottom half. I think at the very least we're looking at top 12 um, just because the talent is so insane. And because there are so many similarities to the scheme that Vic Fangio ran. I think most of the differences that we're going to see is up front um, with the defensive line usage and the way they attack the, the pressure packages, 
that aspect of it. The coverage I'm expecting to be predominantly the same, um, which is going to help ease the transition for some of these guys like Justin Simmons, Ojemudia, Sertan into this new scheme. Um, and Damari Mathis, I mean, what he did in college is basically identical to what's being projected. And we can make it this safe assumption is... Um, Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. The the safe assumption of what Evro is going to run based off of the moves that they have made on the defense. Because mm-hmm. it very much stressed that it's going to be similar to what Brandon Staley did two years ago with the Rams and Raheem Morris did last year, um, where Evro was the passing game coordinator. So it's it's difficult because if they drop again, I don't think it'll be out of top twelve, but they could very ris- realistically stay in the top ten, in the top five even, because they didn't see, they improved in key areas. They hopefully, anyways, improved their ability to get after the quarterback. They hopefully improved their ability to stop the run. They hopefully won't have as many broken coverages. They hopefully won't have issues where the defense doesn't want to play for the head coach or the defensive coordinator in this case. Hopefully, we don't have those issues like we had at points last year. Right. Um, which should reflect to better performance on the field. And, yeah, and of course the offense. I was going to say Dale Fleming jumping in here with an astute comment to, to piggyback off of this, but with a better offense, giving up the field goals that we gave up under Vic Fangio won't hurt the same. And I've, I've heard it on multiple different other media outlets. It's, a, it's an opinion I hold as well. When you got to Broncos minus seven, they're down seven. That seems like an insurmountable achievement because the offense was just so bad. Now you have an opportunity to have an offense that's going to go out and get you a lead so that you can actually show the defensive talent on this team in a, in a new way. Like You can actually get after the quarterback. You can send some creative blitz packages. You can do everything in your power to make it more difficult for the opposing offense to not just play vanilla schemes and run the football down your throat, march up and down the field and get into the red zone, kick field goals. That works for teams like Kansas City, who still has the, the ability to – have those explosive plays where well, they didn't have them against Denver this last season, but like, that's, that's where you're like, that's, that's the big premise of this. You have the ability with a Vic Fangio defense where everything's just so spread out. We're just kind of let yeah, keep everything in front of us. We'll clamp down. You can have these big explosive plays. You can move the ball at will on us if you want to, but as long as you're not scoring touchdowns, we're going to still be in this game. They didn't have the offense to play that kind of strategy, and it got incredibly old, especially over this this last season in general, where the offense, while it wasn't great, was still better than it has been over the last couple of seasons. There's a lot of give and take to this, and I, I, I want your opinion on this one. Because 
you, you, you've done a great job of bringing in some guys that can get after the passer or at least have the potential to get after the passer. And Iomo Wazirike, you bring in um, Randy Gregory. You're hoping to get uh, Bradley Chubb back fully healthy. Nick Benito is a great pass rusher as well coming out of uh, out of Oklahoma. Um, DJ Jones has the ability to get after the passer a little bit, even though that's not necessarily his forte. He still has the ability to do that um, with Baron Browning taking that next step forward. Are you wanting to see more of an aggressive nature in the front seven this year than we have seen with Vic Fangio over the last four or five seasons where a lot of the time it was rushed for with creative twists and stunts, maybe bring a fifth guy. Are you wanting to see some more aggressive, like creative blitzing where you're bringing six or seven guys rely on the man cornerback covers that you have on the outside that both Ronald Darby and Pat Sertan can do? Or are you wanting to see kind of the same thing where you just – kind of take what the offense gives you, keep everything in front of you. And then like um, the, the calculated blitzes and, and risks and chances like that. That's I have never been one for the super aggressive blitzing, blitzing 80, 70% of the time. Like, I know that's pretty extreme number, but right. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never, I've never been one for that. Um, I'm for the calculated blitzes because take it's a passing game. I mean, you got to get after the quarterback, but at the same time, it's you, you can't take extra away from your um, out of coverage, and it really goes off of who you're playing. Um, you you got to change it up based off of that. Quarterbacks that are good quarterbacks that don't do well under pressure, well, you got to be able to get them to hold on to the ball because that's the issue with blitzing. It's so easily beatable because you just get rid of the ball quicker. You can find that opening and you do that, and that's mm-hmm. an issue that has been there for the Broncos for the last few years with Derek Carr. They've tried yeah. to blitz him because he does have issues handling the blitz, but he just gets rid of the ball in under two seconds. Just a quick little dump off. Um, so you got you have to have that balance. Um, so I, I want to see creative blitzing. I, I, I want to see usage of all these pass rushers that they have in, especially after last year, seeing how much we struggled getting after quarterback, even when we blitzed. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. You got to be effective at it if you're going to do it, and that also can really leave a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, but I also want to see, you know, those, um, those, uh, um, the, um, oh crap. What is the term now? The, um, I can't, th- I can't think of the term now for it. The, um, see, you lost me here. Oh, Nick He's always, talks, Nick always talks about it. The uh, always mentions it. No, the, um, Simulated pressures. There you go. Okay. Which is um, just basically finding, adjusting your lineup with the four man front to get somebody on a 2v1 to get somebody on that 1v1. Right. Like to, or get that guy where you're getting two of your guys on a, on a double team. So you have a free blitzer. The, the simulated pressures. You want to aim for that. Um, so. I want to see more of that, and I, I would fully expect to see that. I do want to grab this comment real quick from Shandy Bracy. Haven't seen names not familiar. You may have joined us before, same. but uh, you look new to at least the Dove Valley Deep Divers. We appreciate you for joining us. Thank you. Um, they say evening Broncos country and Eric and Lance. I'm really hoping our run game will open up a lot more pass ops in the red zone. Really stoked on this year's run game. I'm right there with you with being soaked for this year's run game, but I'm of the philosophy that you use the passing game to open up the running game, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with you use play action passing to open up running. Like it's not, you, you don't run the ball to open up play action. 
used to be that way, but the trend of the NFL has changed, and you do better when you can use the passing game or the play-action passing to open it up. And how you do that is to um, open up the aspect in the run in the red zone specifically is you use a lot of that the running or the play-action passing and stuff between the twenties to help open up the running game in there, and also you keep that threat of the running game to help open up your passing game. I mean, it's a lot of um, synergy there, but the passing aspect of it does more to open up the running game than the other way around. The, the uh, one thing I want to, sorry, go ahead, finish up. So hopefully, so hopefully we see that, but the I'm really one, for the game. Yeah. I am as well. And the, the one reason why, and I, I'm going to disagree with you, but still agree with you uh, on some certain things with, with the wide zone, and play action bootleg passing. The the wide zone is essential to that because you get the big flows and then you need to have that athletic quarterback that can come back around on the backside on the bootleg. You need to have that flow look. It doesn't need to be that your running game is effective, but you need to have that flow look. That to me is the the one thing that we're I think we're going to see a big improvement in this team because the designs from based on what I understand of what's coming out of this offense utilizing that run game to open up and get Russell Wilson back on the backside where you now have an athletic quarterback that can throw on the run. And also, Oh, by the way, he's one of the top rushing quarterbacks we've seen in the last 10 years, guys. This guy is absolutely a phenomenal running the football to me. That's why I'm the most excited about this running game because it opens up so many different options straight. Uh, Eric, I a hundred percent agree with you on your uh, play action passing in terms of straight drop back play action passing. It's even with that set up your, Huh? It's even with outside zone. I'm not going to disagree with you, but it helps to have that added effectiveness of the outside zone scheme, where if you're effective with that up front and you do a good job running the running the the outside zone, it opens up so much more on the backside. Like you got to get that flow. Everything has to be able to move yeah. in the flow and then come back around the backside. If you're killing them with the run game on the front side, that makes that play action passing game on the backside with the bootleg so much more effective, especially when you got a mobile quarterback like a Russell Wilson. Yeah, and I'm Again, not, not I'm not yeah, disagreeing I'm, with you on that. Right. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I want to disagree, but not like agree, but also not just whatever. We're saying the same thing in different ways. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that 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 bootleg is going to do more to open up that that zone run. Yes. Then the zone run will to to open up the run game because. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Noyes comes and says with a ten dollar donation. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate you, that because I like your outlook on this team and the info you share with us. We appreciate that. We may not be able to see. We may not see the eye eye to eye on doo doo lock, but um, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you constantly coming in here. Um, and trust me, I'm not trying to slam down on you or anything like that. It's just how I am. You can ask Lance. I'm just very. For lack of a better way to put it, aggressive with in responses. Um, I don't mean anything by it, but we appreciate your your, your support and constant support. Yeah, and uh, Jeff, you do a, a really good job asking a lot of great questions and stuff like that to make us be better. Uh, it opens up a lot of very fun conversations and stuff like that. So don't ever think that we're coming at you to, to be assholes or to be jerks or anything like that. It's just always fun to be able to do that. Jacob Foster jumping in here. Nothing to say, just showing some love there on Facebook, throwing some stars down. Thank you, Jacob. We appreciate that. A um, couple more, I think. Let's see if we got here. Jared. Jared Nehermeyer, I need to. I need you to get at me at Sanderson MHH. 
because uh, this comment here is a great way for us to open up and and have an opportunity to talk to one of the Broncos legends and Gary Zimmerman because Jared says, I'm good friends with Gary Zimmerman. He's actually coming to the San Francisco game in September. He seemed uh, interested in joining your tent for a while. Let me know how to get get in touch with you guys. I can actually do that. I would love to have Gary join up on the show one of these times as well, but... Um, we can, we can definitely do that. Uh, also hit up Chad at Chad and Jensen, yep. uh, get, get like, that's the best way to do that. Um, as far as getting into the tent, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to make it for this year's game. As far as the meet and greet goes, um, just financially, not potentially able to do something like that. However, if I am able to do so, I would love to do that. I would love to get Gary on our show though. Talk to him about this offensive line. Talk to him about, um, th- this wide zone scheme, because this guy is, I mean, you're, you're talking about, um, one of the best insights, a Hall of Fame left tackle in the NFL, played in in the league for a long time. Um, that is uh, like widely knowledgeable about exactly what this scheme entails and what it can bring, and how this offensive line might gel. So, Jared, please get at me at Sanderson MHH. Get at Chad at Chad and Jensen. Um, let's see if we can't link this up and and get Gary yeah. in touch with everybody here at the Mile High Huddle community because this is a great opportunity. Yeah, Chad is definitely the one to reach out for the game. As Lance said, he's not sure he's going to be able to make it. I'm definitely not. Um, I have a wedding that I have to travel to next May, which I got to save up money for and handle be able to handle that. And then a wedding just over under two years from now um, for my wife and I to have our wedding redo. So probably not going to be able to make it down for a little while anyways. I wish I could. And last year was a lot of fun. And I appreciate everybody that showed up, showing up and being able to meet you and everybody and Dale for the tickets, like just everybody. It was awesome meeting you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. going to miss, com- miss not going this year. And Dale Fleming says, I love a good, respectful, passionate, passionate discussion with disagreement and no echo chamber. Yeah. The echo chamber stuff is what drives me nuts. And that typically is where I get more heated. Um, just echoing what other people have said and, instead of just, you know, trying to have the discussion about it. And it goes in all things. Um, but Dale, I mean, it's always uh, appreciative of here. And Jeff says, I'm not the sensitive type. No worries. Uh, appreciate that as well. Um, to the internet, can't always tell who's a sensitive type or not. Just want to make sure that you know that we don't mean anything by it with how we come off. Of. Yeah. It, it, a lot of it is we're reading your text and you're hearing our voice. And yeah. like the big thing is that this is Eric and I's forte and specialty. Apparently we've been, uh, <laughs> been bad about it before where it, it, like we come off as, as jerks and like as corrective and like, we don't really do a great job of connecting with everybody. That's not that. No, 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 no. That's just you. No, that's definitely you. <laughs> that's definitely you. <laughs> but to, no, to, to to see when you come back and say, I'm not the sensitive type, no worries. And we appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you very much. Um, it, we, we do mean it. We're not trying to be jerks, guys. It's uh, And Dale's like, too many snowflakes. Okay, yeah. Uh, we're not trying to be jerks. We're trying to just have a conversation with you. Um, if you were here to, to talk with us, it'd be better. You can never read tone, though. And that's the hard part. So There's no tonality in text messages. Exactly. And Jeff coming in, I enjoy a good discussion. We enjoy a good discussion with you. We enjoy a good discussion with everybody on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. And with that, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, You all have a great weekend. Stay safe and take care. I want to first, though, uh, give a quick shout out again to make sure you guys follow us. Uh, Jared, please, please, please. I'm begging you, please. At Sanderson MHH on Twitter. Uh, Find me on Facebook if you have to. Lance Sanderson, like, add me as a friend. We'll link up. You and I can can talk about it. Um, 
we'll, we'll talk about getting uh, Gary linked up and whatnot like that. But find me at Sanderson MHH guys for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for Scott, who didn't actually make it, but still got to give Scott a lot of love for setting up the stream, doing everything he does behind the scenes to help out with uh, Dove Valley Deep Divers and every single one of the shows. At Scout Kennedy, make sure you get at him. Also, guys, at Mile High Huddle, that's uh, the mother account where you guys are going to find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos. Facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle Pod. It's another great way to link up with everybody in the Mile High Huddle community. Um, a lot of great conversation going on over on that stuff as well, guys. Um, folks, if you're financially able to do so, Super Chats and Stars donations are a great way to help support the show. But if you want to get something else and kind of help spread the word about the the mile high huddle and huddle up podcast uh network and whatnot dove valley deep divers as well huddleuppod.com guys get your swag on you're getting a hat there's t-shirts face masks coffee cups teddy bears for your baby a onesie as well something for the guys something for the gals anything to suit your fancy huddleuppod.com great way to you know uh let's see you know like birthday gifts father's day mother's day anything like that that's a great way to help support the show spread the word as well because that is a great way to, to help us kind of advertise and whatnot and it looks cool like all of our swag is awesome those guys are doing a great job but if you guys aren't financially able to do so with any super chat stars the donations um huddleuppod.com doesn't matter three things guys the ticker down on the bottom Subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, YouTube especially, but Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle, guys. It helps us so much. You guys don't understand how much that helps us. Like every video and podcast you guys see across all social media platforms. And if you love it, you love what we're doing here at Huddle Up Podcast Network and MileHighHuddle.com, please share it, guys. Get it in front of as many Broncos fans as possible because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. With that, Eric. Any last words, man? Yeah, I'm uh, going to pat myself on the back a little bit. And I mean, I, I've talked about my losing weight here. Um, it was great. I was finally able to step on the scale and be under 310 pounds. I think that's the first time I've done my weight. Um, was finally able. This may not seem like a big thing. I'm not a big runner, never have been. Um, but I was able to finish a full mile without having to stop or anything like that. I've been able to do that since middle school. Um, and it's a big big deal for me because i've always struggled losing weight and everything and um what happened quite a few episodes ago was kind of an eye opener a little bit i started trying to lose weight beforehand got up to almost 350 pounds so like making some really good progress so um patting myself on the back for that but i just want to say everybody have a good night have a great weekend stay safe take care don't drink and drive be careful with the fireworks don't shoot them at people um hey hey, hey don't tell and me especially what you mean, man roman roman were so fun and especially, again, don't drink and drive. Yes. Yes, please, guys. There's ride services out there. There's lots of family members, friends, doesn't matter. Please take care of yourself. As Todd says, take care, everyone. Have a happy and safe safe 4th of July. You all as well, please. Again, I cannot stress this enough. Please stay safe and take care of yourselves. As always, have a great rest of your weekend. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Enjoy the barbecue. Enjoy the fireworks. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week here on the Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. And as always, go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. 
The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.